This is the Amner Martinez Podcast. Welcome to the Amner Martinez Podcast. My name is Amner Martinez, and I will be your host. I am an immigrant from the country of Guatemala, and I've been living in Iowa since 1995. My professional background is in the staffing and recruiting industry, and I have been heavily involved in the local entertainment scene for the last 12 years. In this podcast, I will be sharing conversations with local people in entertainment, business, sports, nonprofits, food, arts, and culture. So stick around for some great conversations. Welcome back, everybody. This is the fourth episode. This time, I had the pleasure to have my friend, the owner of Preservation and Studio Preservation, Nicole Lawrenson. Nicole talked to us about how she landed in Des Moines being a young girl from a small town up north, Iowa, closer to Minnesota and Minneapolis than Des Moines. She, w- she was living in a lonely world. <laughs> <as in. laughs> she small was from a small girl. town. She was a small town girl. <laughs> Oh, I get it. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, that took a minute. <laughs> I, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So she told us how she landed in Des Moines instead of Minnesota. You know, instead of going up north, she moved down through the love of photography. How she's a photographer first and a fashion trendsetter second. She took us through her times through through her travels in Colorado and New York uh, and how she landed in Des Moines and now she calls Des Moines home. How she started her business, how it started from an online business into a now storefront. How her dream, how she visualized... <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> You're looking at me like I'm Anyone? a fucking idiot. Mm. Mm. She... Uh, um, how you visualize your dreams and how persistency got her through some hard times. What works for her? We talked about uh, her process. We talked about ethical and sustainable ways and environmentally conscious brands that have made her find success in this industry. She told us about her love of fashion. She gave us insightful information about her business and her process and we talked about denim and we talked about a little bit more about denim and then we talked about denim and we fit a little few minutes of uh vegetarian chickens so this that's pretty hardcore (laughs) (laughs) vegetarian chickens yeah i mean are they gonna eat meat but it's you got to listen to it, and it makes sense. So, um, this is Nicole Lawrenson from Preservation. So, you got to get much closer. So, like right there. I feel like <laughs> this is in my mouth. <laughs> I'm a loud talker, you okay, know, if we good. get going. So, the the see how my, like, there's some bass on mine? Mm-hmm. You want to hear that out of you. I mean, don't talk like a man. I already do. 
<laughs> Mine's more bassy than yours. Look. Right, right. So, okay. All right. Is this good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm nervous that I'm going to get excited. Have you ever done anything like this before? Only phone interviews. I've done like phone interviews. For who? Um, When I did the, des no, was it Design Sponge? Oh, well, for Jamie Milne, well, she didn't do it, but it was for that milk website. It's like creative. It was like a creative thing and she was working on it, but somebody else called to interview me for it. Yeah. And I did my whole interview over the phone. And so it was like almost it? an hour and a half. Yeah. Is this better? That if you, Can you hear yourself? Yeah. Test it. Um, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds good. Blah, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, put your lips on the microphone. Yeah, no, as close as you can. That's not sanitary. What was your favorite uh, interview? Um, because sometimes you don't like stuff, right? Like sometimes you, I've never done it. Like you yes, tell people things and then they get it wrong, or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, my favorite one was probably that. I think it's milk. I hope I'm not saying. I hope I'm right about this, but it was just an online thing, and it's it was like um. I think that Ben from Dwalla started it. I think Ben and Jamie started it. That one I remember. The girl that I that interviewed me was a really great interviewer, and she asked really good questions, and she translated it very, like, okay. written. She translated yeah, yeah, it very yeah, yeah, well yeah. and didn't miss anything, and I really liked the way she wrote it. I've had other interviews where literally they've gotten, like, the city I was from wrong. Where I, are you I from? I mean, I'm from out in the middle of nowhere. I'm from, like, the country up in, like, north central Iowa. So, technically... North central, so, like, close to Minnesota? Yeah, yeah, like, 20 minutes from the border. Oh. But, technically, like, do, do, my parents' farm is, like, in Forest City's, like, district. Okay. But I went to um, high school in Crystal Lake, which is, like, a smaller town that was much closer to our farm. It's just the way it was zoned. Do I, is there an accent up there? It probably a little bit Minnesota, yeah. I feel like sometimes it comes out more than other times. So but... why, what? How did you end up down here instead of in Minneapolis? Um. Well, did you ever think about it, or you just kind of accidentally? No, I mean, you know what? We did go to Minneapolis a lot as kids, like to go shopping or to do anything major. We would always go to Minneapolis as opposed to Des Moines because there was more there and it was the same distance. Mm -hmm. But when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after high school. I well, I actually took a college course in Forest City at Waldorf College, which is a like private school there. Mm -hmm. um, and I took a I took a couple courses, but like one was um, it's not it's Lutheran, I think. Oh, okay. Which whatever. Um, it was just you could take the classes for free if you were in high school, like you didn't oh, have to pay okay. for them. And so I took communications and photography, and I loved photography, and I met. We, we got to meet a lot of professional photographers when we were in that class. This is during high school? Yeah, okay. yeah, my senior year. And um, basically, one of them was like, I went to Hawkeye Community College. I loved it. It was a great school. And like, literally, I think within six months, I toured Hawkeye Community College. I loved it. And then I signed up because there was a waiting list at that point. And then I got in and I was able to go the first year after I graduated. So, which is in Waterloo, and that's kind of why I ended up going south. You started wearing, like, working your way down. This yeah, way. based on it was based on school, really, and it was a really affordable. Like, I mean, it really it's not some like grand degree. It's just associates in applied arts. It wasn't okay. like I had my bachelor's in fine arts, but it's a very like practical. Um, it wasn't a technical school actually, but it was very like focused. 
what was it? Was it photography? Photography, okay. yeah. Professional. So, it was a professional photography program. It's so still called that. You're a photographer. So now where you are now. Like, because, so you I still am a photographer. But you are mostly in the fashion world. Mm, I disagree. Okay. Tell me then. Um, I think that's a misconception among a lot of local people because a lot of people that know me here know me because of preservation, the shop. Sure. But I've been doing photography since I was in in high school. Really, Mm -hmm. I studied it in college. I majored in commercial and portrait photography. And right after college, I uh, moved to New York and, you know, thought I was going to be a fashion photographer. Like that was my goal. Mm. That's what I was going to do. And then um, I didn't do that. I ended up moving back and then I'm kind of giving you the condensed version, but I worked for two professional photographers um, for like a period of seven years or like six years or something mm-hmm. and I kind of did a lot of small business things for them like I was like head of house I did their sales I was assistant shooter I did all their retouching ordering checking in um that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't really do a lot of marketing but I helped like on marketing projects so I definitely think a lot of what I e- know about business which isn't that much but <laughs> at least when I started like I was definitely like you know just taking a chance yeah, 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 yeah. um is because I I've worked for small businesses my whole life like not on purpose I just kind of realized that um so how did this whole preservation thing started then well preservation started because um kind of towards the end of me working for the last studio I worked at I I collected vintage all through college, actually, okay. and I loved thrifting, and I was really into vintage clothes, especially like 1950s, like party dresses and stuff like that, okay. and I like to use them in photo shoots, and that's kind of how it started, I guess, but I just would keep collecting it, keep collecting it, and then eventually I had like so many vintage clothes that they weren't even my size, yeah. like it was kind of random, and about that time, I was um, getting ready to move to Colorado, Um and Etsy was like a thing, you know, it just started becoming a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the online. Uh, yeah. Is it still a thing? Yeah, okay. it is, but I don't use it. Um, and I don't know how much vintage sellers use it anymore, but um, my partner at the time was like really trying to talk me into, because I was like dead set on having like a vintage store. Like I was like, okay. I'm going to have a vintage store and I'm going to take photos. And I, I always was like, I'm going to take photos of the clothes and it's going to be a part of the store. Um, and he was like, yeah, that's a good idea, but you should like try to start selling online first, like less overhead, see sure. how it goes. Yeah. And I was really against it at first because online shopping was not as big of a thing. That was 2010. Okay. So, um, but I did it anyways. I basically, once we got to Colorado, like right when we got there, I was unemployed. So I was like, fuck it. (laughs) Can I swear? Um, uh, (laughs) I started like photographing all my vintage. I had literally like one dress form and it was so old and I called it Doris, which is like my grandma's name. Mm -hmm. And, um, I would just photograph these clothes mostly dresses because that's what i'd been collecting for so long um on this old form in just like natural light and then i started like putting them on etsy and they were selling like it Mm. was selling and it was good and um i did that for really the whole time i lived in colorado which was two years just like just on the side you're just yeah side hustle and then i nannied and i also still did photography as a like portrait photography mostly like freelance so i shot weddings families babies and sometimes like events or something like that. 
And so um, I did that the whole time I was in Colorado. And I was actually flying back to Iowa a decent amount for weddings and like other random things like yeah. for photography. Yeah. And then when I moved back, we ended up in Des Moines. What, did just Colorado didn't work out? Like... Um, well, my partner at the time was in grad school at CSU. Mm -hmm. And then um, he finished his... Uh, master's degree there and he got into iowa state at for a phd and that's why we moved back okay so i mean of course i was like it's a sign we're supposed to move home <laughs> i think i just wanted to move home yeah, yeah, yeah. i okay. love colorado it's so, so was beautiful new york but before colorado yeah yeah okay. new york was right after college in 2005 okay. and then i moved actually moved to des moines for a year mm. and that was like in 2006 and it was like nothing like downtown yeah. was just like barely anything yeah, yeah. um and i only lived here for a year because the studio i worked at i i didn't really mesh well with my boss even though like i loved my coworkers. um and i got offered another job in cedar falls which is actually like where i lived in college and i was like mm -hmm. yeah cool and so i moved there for about three and a half years and then colorado mm. and then des moines back to des moines yeah because we did we were just like we're not going to live in ames like we're not we weren't like college age kids at that point you know yeah um and so <laughs> i lit when i first moved to des moines i was still doing etsy like pretty it was pretty like it was like a part-time job yeah and then i was still shooting quite a bit like part-time and then i worked i did a little like nannying and like personal assisting when i first moved here and then i got a job at eight seven central mm -hmm. which is like a graphic design screen yeah, printing yeah, company yeah. and um from there that's, what did you do there? What did you? Do? That's I, where I met you. I, I was like head of oh, house. I met. managed like I kind of I helped manage the web design team mm -hmm. and the screen printing team. I like checked in orders, helped customers with outgoing orders. Um, really, so like everything that you did since out of high school, even in high I school, prepared you up until you started to. So what made yeah. you like take the plunge? What made you go like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, Fuck it, I'm going to open a store. Fuck it. Um, well, a couple things. I mean, when I was working at 87 Central, I realized I, I loved the East Village. I was like, okay, like I could start to like visualize okay. my shop there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I also was just it, my idea of what I wanted to do was starting to evolve a little bit more. Like I didn't really think that I would have so much modern stuff, actually. Like that wasn't really a part of the original plan. Um. So I don't know. I just started looking. I kind of like kept my eye open for spaces I liked or just mm -hmm. like buildings or spaces that inspired me. Yeah. And I always really liked um, Chrissy, uh, who owned Domestica. I always really loved her space. That mm -hmm. was where my space is now. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really like think anything of it. But then the space next to her opened up and mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to get that space. And I like pursued it, pursued it, pursued it. And nobody would get back to me. And finally, someone got back to me and they were like, oh, someone else is already pretty oh, much signed a lease and i was yeah. like okay um and there had been a lot of turnover in that space so i think they were kind of like waiting for something that was like insurance yeah yeah, yeah. um but then randomly enough like six months later chrissy was like reached out to me was like i'm actually moving i'm gonna move my shop into like the heart of the village and i'm gonna leave this space like you should check into it i know you love this building and so that's kind of what originally kickstarted me because I wanted that space. And yeah, I was yeah. like, that's, that space is perfect. So I started writing a business plan and, um, you know, kind of doing a little more brand research and started at that point, I kind of was like, I want to have modern things too. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought originally it would be mostly like shoes and a couple brands, you know? Yeah. 
um, and then vintage stuff. And so I was just like planning all of that out. And then unfortunately during that time, um, I went through a divorce and I think there was right a, in the middle, of right the in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle. We separated, like basically I started pursuing that space or at least I knew about it in the, you know, late winter, like mm-hmm. December. And then I started like writing my year, um, 2014. <clears throat> okay. And then, and it, kind of about that time we separated and I had some time by myself and I was like, I'm just going to keep pursuing this, you know? Yeah. And then whatever happens. And then Did you ever think of like, I'm going to quit. Yeah. Pursuing well, it? because at one point, um, I thought that maybe, you know, I needed, well, I thought that, um, if I would like put that, if I would just take a break from that and mm-hmm. focus on my marriage, mm-hmm. then maybe, um, Maybe that's what I needed to do. And I could always come back to it, you know, because, um, I think my partner at the time, it wasn't that he wasn't supportive. He was just like, I just don't know if this is the right time. And I kind of like offered it like, you know, I'll put this aside, whatever. And it didn't matter. So once, you know, he asked for a divorce and we, whatever, um, I was just like, I'm doing it. Like, what do I have to lose? Like, I'm by myself. I am not, you know, this is a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because before I was always waiting for him to finish school. But now that you look back, you're probably like, okay, I'm glad I didn't like yeah, really go through with like giving up on it. Or... Yeah. I think, it, I mean, it was a really, to be honest, it was a really shitty time. Yeah. But I think that the store enabled me to put, all of my energy into something that I was so, I had been dreaming about for years and it, it was the best therapy. I mean, and also like, you know, it wasn't free, (laughs) still cost me money, but, um, it, I think everything did. You could have easily, you could have easily, um, been like, you know, cause divorces are hard. Even if you don't have any other project, you know, like divorces are just hard period. Yeah. Not that I've been divorced, but you know, it's gotta be hard. I, it's, there's no way it that's sucks. Easy. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of people, you know, crumble, you know, with it, you know, just along with the marriage, along with the relationship, they kind of give yeah. up and they start going a different path. And that kind of, that kind of shows a little bit of strength Thanks. out of you. Well, I have my moments. So you said it, you're like talking about 10 years that you had this. In your oh life. yeah. At least a decade of like, thought and evolution and it would kind of like go back and forth and i always wanted photography to be a part of it yeah and i'm like realizing now that your original question was like tell me what you do what do you do for photography (laughs) um (laughs) we're almost there folks um (laughs) um but I I was really into film photography in school. That's what mm-hmm. I kind of focused on. E- digital was like just becoming a thing a little bit. And I was really still like into um, analog photography. Mm-hmm. And I shot like all medium and large format in school. Um, and I thought like it would be really cool in my future vintage store to mm-hmm. have like kind of like a take on like the old timey photos at Adventureland, you know, where yeah, you like yeah. dress up mm-hmm. and you get your photo. I wanted to do like a modern take on that where okay. people could like there would be a permanent spot and it would kind of be a thing you could just come in and just do that and you just pay for it. Um, and I still kind of have that in my head. 
I just think that, and I do that That's in a way. I I do it in a way, but not how I originally envisioned it. It sort of evolved and evolved, and that's why I started doing the mini sessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is because I wanted there to be this like accessible way for people to do these like little short sessions. But I think that you do it enough though, because if if you would, do, can you do that on a daily basis? No, right. but I, I think in the future, my goal is to have the studio and the shop in the same in the same place. Place okay. and yeah. So are you like? looking at new places yeah i have my eyes open i mean i've been looking for probably the past year because i mean i would love to just expand within my current building i'm in but i think the longer i'm in there the more i get to know the people in there i just don't know if i see that space opening up in the near yeah. future but you're gonna stay on the east village i don't know <clears throat> i mean i am open to other options but i think it does have to be something special and I think it'll probably time will tell like how, you know, based on our in-store sales and online sales, like how important is it that I'm like in the East village? Because if my online sales are growing the way they are now, it may not be important that I'm like right in a super busy area. People who want to come will find me. They're going to come. Yeah. And then I'll sell online. And then that, I mean, that's just like one option. I would love to stay in the East so, Village, but it's getting so expensive. Like I'm lucky right now, but so just business, just like for you know business advice for anyone else. So right now you're doing uh, so online is very strong for you. Then it's growing faster. Online sales are growing faster than in store sales. In store sales have just kind of like plateaued. Yeah. So what works then? What works for you? So Etsy is kind of thing in the of the past maybe. I think so. I don't shop on Etsy anymore. I don't okay. sell on Etsy anymore. And I don't really know anybody that does. Okay. Um, I, I actually, that's a lie. When I first opened, I did Etsy had like an Etsy wholesale thing. And mm-hmm. I did buy some products from Etsy wholesale for the shop. Okay. But um, that's definitely a thing of the past. I've tried so many things for the online store. It's all been kind of trial and error. And I don't really know that much about online marketing. So um, do you guide people to your website then? Yeah. I mean, I'm not currently doing any paid mar- advertising or marketing. I, I tried that for about nine months um, in 2017 and it was very, it worked really well, but during slower months, I found that I was just kind of breaking even, which because you're spending money it's like I was spending a lot, but I was also selling a lot. But in the slower months, it was like, it was just kind of about a wash and, um, in a way that's good. Like if you're paying for marketing and you're at least making your money back, it's, it's, they say it's good because you're gaining, you know, at least the woman I was working with is like, you're not losing money and you're gaining customers. So, but at that time, like I was only into my second year and I was just like, I feel like I'm trying to do this too fast. Mm -hmm. And I was worried because I don't have, I didn't have enough, um, capital to just be like spending money to break even, (laughs) you know, at this point it's like, if I'm going to spend money, I have to make money because I have bills to pay. I have loans to pay back. Um, and so that was where I kind of had to be like, okay, let's take a pause on this advertising because I was spending a lot of money and it was wor- it was working. I mean, when we did it during the holiday season, it was like nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try some other things for a little bit, which I did, and then maybe when I get to year like five, I can start marketing again. Okay. But I think you have to if you want to compete with any of the big or just like middle-sized retailers online you have to market because yeah. your so stuff just so is right very... now it's more like uh 
like the the social media kind of thing yep social media we try to just like push out as much stuff as we can without being obnoxious um yeah and um i sell on another um platform called garmentory and it's cool because garmentory sells other like-minded brands and then they also other small businesses can sell on garmentory so garmentory itself was invented by this cool woman named adele and she um basically was like i like all these brands and there are all these like small independent brands but then there's all these other stores that sell these small independent brands too so wouldn't it be cool if we could just like have a website where say for instance like mara hoffman um you know only it's like that stuff is made to order so what only gets produces what people order and then okay. once it's gone it's gone so sometimes it's hard to find if yeah, you don't yeah, know yeah. about a store yeah. you wouldn't know you, you just couldn't find it so the cool thing about garmentory is you can just shop like um a designer and then all the stores that carry that designer will pop up yeah and so it's cool especially because garmentory so cu- like regular customers can go to garmentory and, yep and shop anybody anybody okay. can shop you you basically can shop by you know, brand or um, style or like, you know, like shoe or shirt, but you can also shop by store. And so Garmentory is basically like a huge platform okay. that sells things, but then they also host other stores that okay. are pretty much other stores that are like me, sure. like small little brick and mortars that have websites, but don't quite have the reach. And then they, they pay for digital marketing and all that stuff. Where are most of your buyers at? Um, like New York and New- LA. Yeah. yeah. I mean, specifically Which like Brooklyn, weird, right? it's, it's not weird that, because but the morning like so well it's a lot of the vintage buyers are from new york and la because vintage is so expensive in those cities and i think Mm. people here are like oh vintage you know preservations vintage is so expensive which it it is higher price than someone for instance that's doing a pop-up because they don't have any overhead and they don't have employees and all that stuff and they're not photographing and spending time on each piece yeah um but also like if you travel around and you know that your market 50 it actually 80 percent of your market is online it's silly not to price your things for that for that market um and are you surprised that that that's where like a lot of your mm -mm. No. To me, like the uneducated eye, I'm like, that's cool because you would think somebody from LA could just go to a shop and shop, right? Yeah. Is it, the pricing has a lot to do with it? Then? I think so. And and the brands, that, some of the brands that we carry, um, not a lot of stores carry, and it's the same thing. They only make limited runs. It's only what's ordered. So, you know, Paloma, for example, um, it's it's definitely getting oversaturated and more source carry it now. But when we first started carrying it, like we could not keep that brand in stock because everybody from all over the United States wanted it because it was just getting hot in the U.S. It's a um, brand that's made in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would have a lot of it because our local customer was kind of like, I don't know. But then all these people from bigger cities who knew about the brand were like, we can get it at preservation because they still have the small, they still have the medium. And we just, I think it takes our local customer longer to, to like know about brands because they've maybe already been popular in New York and LA for a year or two before they get here. And you know, there's, there's the exception. There's always the girls and guys who like know about brands for anybody else. And, they know and they buy it here but the majority of people here aren't really seeking out like what's the cool new indie label in slow fashion yeah is that (laughs) is that kind of where you would put 
preservation in? Yeah. I mean, we do have, I would say, a handful of brands that maybe wouldn't go in that category. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything is pretty thoughtfully chosen. Most of the brands at this point are independent designers that are working really closely with they're the people who are making their clothing. Um, I would say about half of it's made in the U.S., but that's not like a deterrent for me. Like if the brand is not in the USA, then obviously I wouldn't expect the clothes to be made in the USA. Sure. But um, if a brand is like a USA brand, I unless it's a knitwear piece, because knitwear like is mostly made in Peru. <laughs> uh, it just is. But there are we have brands that make their knitwear in the U.S., but. Yeah. It, it's more to me about that it's being done in like an ethical, sustainable way that like they're they're like treating everybody within their brand and anybody that they touch base with like in a fair way yeah. and that they're being conscious of like their impact on the environment. Because let's face it, like fashion, <clears throat> no matter how good you try and be, it's not an environmentally thing yeah it's it's just it's just like any um production you you know you're using resources yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. so you're trying to minimize the damage yeah hopefully that's the goal so and still it, look cool so is there any do you um is there any pressure do you like oh my god i need to cut what's your process of like staying ahead of the you know curve and kind of bringing stuff that you know even people from la and new york are kind of choosing which yeah. Um, so what's your project? Like, how do you stay? How do you keep that? You know, Ooh, sense, um, that's a really good question. A, okay. I don't, I wish I could say that like, I'm on the cusp of what is so cool. And I always know, but I really, I am not that much of like a fashiony person really, you, you know, like I love fashion and I think it's fun to like, I think it's fun that something you wear can um, affect your self-confidence and you can help like someone else, like by helping them dress in a certain way, you can help them feel better about themselves. Like, I love that, but um, I'm definitely not like, I don't know all the things about, I feel like I'm not like the cutting edge person really, (laughs) but I, I, of course, like it's more important to me that the brand is ethical and sustainable and it's an independent brand and that like maybe people in Des Moines, I do really like to think about our local customer and I like to just think like, what is something they can't get here? Sure. You know what, especially if it's a brand that, you know, we have this brand called Maria Black. It's a jewelry line that's Danish and you can buy it online, but it's really expensive to ship here. And, um, you know, like I try to think of like, is it easy? Would it be easy for our customer to get this? Like, I don't want to carry brands that, you know, Von Mar has or, or any other shop for that matter. So there's somewhat of a elimination process. Yeah, I have check. I have like a little bit of a checklist. You know, okay. it's like it needs to fill most of the boxes, and okay. and I I want it to be cool, but like my style evolves and changes, and I I think in the past I've like the first two years I opened it was a total guessing game, and I was like a little bit of this, a little bit yeah, of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it I I'm sure people who first shopped in my store now it seems totally different or. Yeah first shopped then and now it seems different but when i i mean i have no formal training in buying (laughs) besides vintage clothes and so yourself yeah and i i also am like what are vintage pieces that sell really well like and i also think like what can i find a if i can there's something 
that I find at market, which is a modern piece. Um, and I can find vintage things like that all day long. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy it because if my, if I have vintage things like that in the store that are like a quarter of the price, my customer is going to be like, well, I'm just going to buy the. Are you pretty comfortable then? Like, are you in a, in a spot of your, your, your instinct that's already kicked in or are you sometimes nervous? I'm like, Oh shit, this might not sell. Um, I'm still nervous a little bit. I think this past market I went to in February, which we were buying for next winter, next fall winter. Um, that's the first time that I felt like I really like looked through every single thing. I put everything out. I was like, I just, I've noticed that in the past I will order all this stuff and I'll into each individual brand. I'll feel really good about what I ordered. And then I'll be like, what? I ordered five pairs of white pants. Like what? You know, it's just like you get your mindset on one thing and then you forget kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely feel like I was the most thorough and like really took my time and like added up numbers and was like, I was a really a lot more methodical about it this past time and I feel the best about it, but it's still a lot of money and I'll still always be like, so you already have nervous. the stuff that you're going to sell in the fall. And I already winter? have it ordered. ordered. So okay. a lot of the brands, especially See, the thing about fashion, like, it's crazy. You've got to be like a year ahead, like, a, like at least I, two seasons. Ahead. No, you're telling me this is like, <laughs> I, it's taken me a while to get used to it, but yeah, cause you're like, you're right now, everything that you're putting in the store now, you bought like, last year yeah yeah so it's like you hope that whatever you have in your head or something you know well, i don't know yeah. some the kardashians don't say that <laughs> tan is dumb like then you're fucked no i'm just joking but that's not our customer base but um i don't know yeah i still get nervous because um it's a lot of money that's good though and it's my livelihood you that's know good because if you were like yeah. oh i got this then what's i've only been to... doing it for four years like and well, it's all self-taught lucy helped me a lot 10 yeah but buying i'm saying like it's hard but you were buying the the vintage yeah stuff. but that's a very low risk situation <laughs> you know i think that is why i still get nervous because buying vintage i'm like whatever like yeah. it'll sell and if it doesn't sell i'll put it on sell, sell, sale or i'll like put it in storage for a couple years bring it back out so pretty much anything that's not selling you put it on sale and then what if it doesn't sell on sale you i do, do a, you, i you mean you don't run into that a lot yeah i mean usually if it doesn't sell before the season, like if we're ending a season and we still have a lot of stuff, I'll put it on sale. And then sometimes we'll do like an additional sale, like a little special thing. And if we still have stuff, then we'll pack it away. Um, and sometimes we'll like leave it on the sale rack for like the beginning of the next season. But then eventually we pack it away. And um, if it's vintage. And then um, we usually do, we just did a vintage in the city oh, so and like, we always have a $10 rack of vintage in the city. Every so, year we've had okay, one okay. and anything that like didn't sell for like a full year, it goes on the $10 rack, whether it's like a coat that was $180 or okay. if it was a t-shirt that Does was 48. Like, no, <laughs> no, because at a certain point I've gotten really over being emotionally attached to, sure. to things. Yeah, yeah. And that's partly due to, um, going through like a divorce, you sure. know, yeah. and partly due to selling things. Now I'm yeah. just like, a, hmm. you still love it. 
what selling things yeah like you still love this whole thing yeah yeah i love it i just think i've gotten less like attached to clothes like when i first started buying vintage i had a really hard time letting go of it that's why i had closets full of clothes and i was like i don't know if i want to do an online store no i mean i'm not trying to fool anybody if you're if you're in the vintage business you are a low-key hoarder and in my case a high-key hoarder i mean it you dep- just found a way to like monetize it. <laughs> exactly. And really, like if you see my car on any given day, you would be like, hmm. Borderline. Yeah. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> but you um you also have like a bunch of cool other stuff besides clothes. When did that come into play? Did you was like that just what? part of like the glasses oh, and yeah. the, you know, things and hats and all that stuff? Was that like just to complete the store or Yeah. I think any like read any clothing store, it's like, why wouldn't you have sunglasses? Why wouldn't you have jewelry? Why wouldn't you have shoes? You know, and some of it is I've kind of gone through these phases. Even now I'm like, do I need to sell more vintage and less modern? Do I need to sell less? I just don't know. And it's always kind of been 50 50. Well, except for in the very beginning, it was more vintage because I just you couldn't I couldn't get brands to get back to me. You know, I was too little then. Um. I still have ideas of how to like make it different or switch it up. But, um, I just kind of thought like with the vintage, like if you're a person who's like buying vintage clothing, if you really love vintage things, what else would you pair with your vintage? You know, like I think a lot of cool girls that like to wear vintage always have cool shoes. Yeah. You know, would you ever trust anybody to do the shopping, the buying for you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I brought Gladys with me, um, this past trip. And she was great, you know, and she is like into fashion, you know, she like knows if a designer leaves a design house, she knows a collection they did three years ago, you know, she's like Laura. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I'm not like that. I'm kind of like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going by like, who's Alexander Wang? (laughs) Just joking. But I mean, I haven't known about Alexander Wang that long, (laughs) but like Gladys, I think she and the the reason I know she would do good is because she has her very own style and you know she kind of has like her preservation Gladys mix but I think she can pick out things for the shop even though she wouldn't necessarily pick it out for herself I would have a hard time like, yeah passing that because that's kind of the key of because uh, you're talking about you're six you have to six six months to nine months or whatever ahead of the game yeah I would have a hard time just being like oh yeah here no i wouldn't it wouldn't be like oh yeah here but you know say for instance i couldn't go to a market or something i would i think it would be hard for sure unless i got really used to it um i think i could trust her to go visit the brands we already carry collect like you know take photos get line sheets make notes and come back and we can make decisions together you know let me ask you this because i remember going to your to the store when you opened it yeah uh, and it like every time i go in it looks different i mean it's you you know you, you yeah. have evolved your store has evolved into right but why not men's clothes um i don't have enough money or space <laughs> i mean i've thought about it and so many people ask me when are you gonna get men's clothes are you gonna do men's and I would love to. I just know personally, like that is a perfect example. I would not want to be the buyer. I mean, could I, would I have final say? Yes. Cause it's going to represent my brand. But I, I think in a realistic situation, if I expanded to men's, I would probably take on a partner 
that would be kind of in charge of the men's side. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would what's still. The, what's the. Uh... We just like shirts and pants. I know, but like that's a, first of all, that's a whole nother market you have to go to. Men's and women's market is not at the same time. And then. Okay. So when you say market, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. So you, you don't just like, you do your research, like you travel, you go to places and you like spend days and days in. Yeah. There's so many options, you know, there is markets in LA, markets in New York, markets in Paris, markets in um, Las Vegas. Where where stores go and then there's sellers that show you buy this and put it in your store. It's basically like if you've ever been to a trade show, it's kind of like a trade show. It's usually in a really big space, Um, but not all markets. Like I've started to go to smaller markets and currently, if you've never been to one, this isn't really going to matter to you, but the trend currently is, especially the brands we carry, like the smaller independent brands are starting to like show in like smaller showrooms with like-minded designers instead of showing at big markets because it's expensive for them to show there. Okay. They have to like buy a spot. Yeah. But people still do it. So like I usually, the biggest show I usually go to is capsule, which is by no means the biggest, the biggest ones are in Vegas and it's like magic. And I went to that once with Lucy and I was like, hell no, so just not in your it's league too much like... crap. It's too, okay. it's like, there's great stuff there, but you have to like find it. And it's just for your time. Yeah. I don't it's know. Not... Crazy. But, um, I usually go to capsule, which is like, pretty big but i think i don't know that that market's also evolving and um i only have a couple brands that i see there this last time we went we go to woman show which is probably my favorite and it's a really small curated market and they have man show too um and they always show in new york and then they usually show in paris sometimes in tokyo um i'd love to go to paris sometime but they're just like it's really small it's you know maybe like 50 lines and it's just like very well curated it's so beautiful like everything about the market is beautiful it's like in a beautiful space they have flowers they have the best food there it's like you know they have a tesla that can bring you to your hotel it's just really and there's a bat you get a bag every time like (laughs) it's just really cool and all the brands there are like my favorite brand so why wouldn't i go there you know yeah what's your main product is it jeans yeah, denim. Denim, right? Mm-hmm. Vintage denim. I still think that um, our number one is there selling. Is like a decade? What? Is there like a specific decade of the denim? Um, You know, it kind of varies. I think that if you're really into denim, you like, you know, Levi's that are made in the USA because sure. they're just better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But not really. I think people just like the worn in denim and not even like levi's are definitely our vintage levi's are our best seller but we sell other brands too like wranglers and lee and a lot of 80s brands do they so is levi's and wrangler are they making like vintage stuff now like are they making it purposely look worn um yeah and no i mean denim companies have been making denim to look like it's old for you know the past 10 or 15 years you know the like distress remember and that was like a huge thing just like overly distressed denim what about yeah well, didn't the gucci just come up with a pair of pants and shoes that are like dirty what I do you think about that that's I, not where you i like haven't that. yeah that's weird but i think when it comes to vintage it's like to me the more character on it the better but um wranglers we don't sell modern Wranglers, but Wranglers is coming out with like new hip Wranglers again. I don't know. Maybe that'll be popular in Texas, but um, 
I just saw them at market. That's why I was like, whoa, it was like urban Wranglers. But we sell a lot of like vintage Wranglers that are like worn in. And then um, Levi's actually, which we um, we just did a whole event. Well, we had a little like thing at our Vintage in the City event, but they um, they have like so many offshoots of their company. So it's like really like people have no idea. Like most of Levi's that people here see are like Levi's from Kohl's or whatever. And those are just like bottom of the barrel Levi's. Yeah. And they're definitely like made in a different place in a different way. And then they have Levi's premium, which is what we carry. It's still like an accessible price point, but they're like a step up. And then they have Levi's made and crafted, which is like their fashion forward line. That's like very unique, very interesting styles, higher price point. And then they have Levi's vintage, which is like pieces that are made to spec from actual pieces that they have in their archive. Okay. And we've carried a few Levi's vintage things, but they don't ever sell very well because it's expensive. Yeah. And people here are like, Levi's? Why would I pay that much for Levi's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's like you really have to educate your customer. Someone has to really care. And then now they actually have Levi's authorized vintage, which is brand new. And it's actually vintage denim. They basically just acquired like a shit ton of denim. Like this private seller who had like 65,000 pieces like in a warehouse yeah. contacted Levi's and was like, I want to sell this. And they bought it. And they've it's, it's really blows my mind that this is the first year that they've ever sold their own vintage Levi's. Yeah. It's like all these people and brands like Redone, they're all making money off of yeah, Levi's. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Levi's is just so sitting around like twiddling their thumbs like, hmm. What should we do? Yeah. But they finally have a huge collection. And so currently... Um, so what does that do for the market? It, I don't know yet, really, because I mean, the thing is redone, which is a brand that started off redoing Levi's and selling them for like $500. They made so much money and they, they were really legitimately taking the jeans apart, redoing them. And then they put their white label on them and just, you know, whatever. Rich ladies. But um, (laughs) Levi's is a little bit different because they made adjustments and they like made fixes to their Levi's, but the vintage ones they acquired, but they didn't like alter them really. They they have like a skinny version, but that's it. Because Levi's before like modern jeans, there was no skinny. You know, skinny is a thing that it's been like in the last like 10 years or whatever. Not quite double the price, but it's some of the jeans are almost double the price of ours. And some of them are like the skinny ones are like two something and those ones probably they had to take apart and redo them and so levi's you think they're just kind of doing this like special edition or they're officially in the vintage business yeah that's a lot of pe- that's a lot of denim and i think if it d- does well in their stores they'll probably keep trying to acquire more denim yeah. vintage denim but if it doesn't do well and the, the thing about levi's is and when you say that that means they're just buying old pants all jeans and then they redoing them no i mean what 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 they did was they they had one private seller who just had collected denim for years and years and years because people do this especially on the coast and like in japan like like just denim like yeah like uh cloths of no 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 like jeans and like and it was worn like everything's worn in and um Cause there's like in LA, there's like warehouses of like denim and you just buy it by the pound or whatever, you know? But this one guy had a warehouse full of like, they said like 65,000 pieces. Were these guys like ahead of the game then? Yeah. Like this shit is going to be gold. Yeah. Yeah. They're ahead of the game and they probably also like are on the spectrum. I don't know. Like people get weird about things, you know, like maybe this person was like, I'm going to start collecting it because I'm really into vintage denim. And then it just sort of became like an infatuation. And then probably halfway through 
it was already like a thing and they were like, I'm going to keep collecting it. Once you have that much denim too, you have like some leverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're starting to value the whole thing. Yeah. And so I think because Levi's was contacted by this guy and they were able to acquire all of that, they were able to just be like, poof, we have a, a new line. Uh, but, you know, that would cost so much money to buy that much denim. And I'm sure he made them pay a premium price. He probably made them pay twice as much as Levi's, what... Levi's, which yes. I'm sure they can afford anything. They can totally afford it. Yeah, yeah. they're doing quite well, I think. So who's your um, clientele? Not online, but like here in Des Moines. Local customers? Yeah. It's really all over the board, which I love. I mean, we have high school girls that shop at our store. And then I have like women that are in their 60s that shop at my store. And oh, probably okay. 70s too. I don't know for sure because I don't like ask people their ages. But... Um, <laughs> you guesstimate. <laughs> I think, you know, it's... The younger girls definitely like the vintage. I mean, the vintage cutoff jean shorts the high school girls love and really all ages love them, but mostly high school, college age girls. And that's really the draw for them. Maybe some other vintage things, but that's the main thing that they come in for in the summer, especially. And then the modern pieces are really, I, at this point now I'm mostly buying for someone that's like late twenties or really early thirties to like late fifties because That's our main market in the store. So there's like a mid, like early 20s to late 20s that is not your... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they are too. I think I just lump like high school, college age girls. I would... Yeah, they're probably not in their mid-20s. But I do think there is sort of a gap there. Right. It's like when people first enter the job... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. workforce, whatever yeah. you call Job market? What do you say? Workforce. <laughs> I don't know. Where I think they're working and they're not making that much money and they're still kind of like college mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, um, I'm like, not spending my money on yeah, clothes. Yeah, yeah. They keep down there watching their, their wallet. And they wait. their own money. Yeah, and they wait. I mean, those people still come in like right at the beginning of a season or before Christmas or something like that. But they're not like someone who shops in the store all the time. Most of our return customers are women in their... Mid thirties to late fifties. They have their own money. They have their own money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I assume. What about your competition? Do you, like, do you even worry about that? Uh, I try not to. I mean, I think in Des Moines it's hard because you know, in a bigger city, there's so many of the same kind of not the same thing because you know, hopefully you're not do, trying to do the same thing as someone else. But it's just you're not right in each other's backyards. You're not right in each other's faces. It's like yeah. there's so much. Even if like you're in LA and you're five blocks away from someone, it seems so like, it like who that. cares yeah, yeah. here. It's like, everything is so much more in your face. It's sometimes hard to ignore it. Yeah. I think it's very important to be conscious of who your competitors are. And, um, you want it to be on your radar, but I don't think that you should be, um, worrying more about what your competitors are or doing. Like, let it, let them dictate what you're going to do. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, it. sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Um, and up until, you know, fairly recently, maybe the last year and a half, I would say that I really didn't have any like super direct competitors. I mean, when I first opened, um, there was a vintage store and a modern store really close to each other uh-huh. near me. And those two put together were probably like my competitors. Okay. Um, and we were close in proximity. And then um, the vintage store closed and the other store is still open, but their style kind of has kept evolving too. And it's, I think our styles are evolving in opposite directions. Okay. And 
I'm caught in my cord. <laughs> um, everything's fine. Um, and then since then, just more vintage sellers have popped up, you know, people who just do pop-ups, people who um, have opened little storefronts kind of all over Des Moines. And I don't usually know until someone's like, did you hear about this new vintage place, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and with vintage, I'm very like, vintage is vintage. Like, unless someone is directly like trying to rip me off, I usually will just, I feel like people who are vintage are really like vintage buyers are not that exclusive. Yeah. They're kind of like, if you have the cool thing I want, I'll get it from you. If yeah, you yeah, have yeah. the cool thing I want, I'll get it from yeah, you. It doesn't matter like who. Modern clothing is a little different. I think it's like, if you have a style or a brand someone likes, of course they're going to get it from you. But the modern market gets so interesting because uh, some stores try and steal brands and what's going on over in West Des Moines is uh, West End. Is there anything? I don't there? know. I try not to go, out, go there. out there. I don't think there's is there any... a store that you're like, Oh, that store is kind of cool. You know, blonde genius I think is cool because they, they carry modern brands that I admire. Like I love Ula Johnson. I don't necessarily think that it's, I mean, she does pieces every year that I love and her runway shows are always so cool. Um, but I don't think that they're like necessarily my target market. It's very like florally and like whimsical and feminine. And I'm definitely more like I would I like to keep things a little bit more like yeah. unisex kind of like. I mean, a little bit masculine, but I just try and buy things that are a little bit more unisex. Would you ever put your store in a mall? No. <laughs> Hell no. Do I own this mall? <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. It doesn't belong there. So malls you, are dying, Amber. So are they? I don't yeah, know. Probably. I've also heard that malls might have a resurgence in like 10 years. Do you years. go to the mall? No, I go to the mall if I have to go to the Apple store. Okay. Um, And then if I need to go to Sephora for some So where do reason, you shop for your own clothes? Preservation. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, when you <laughs> boom, when you ha own your own store, that's just kind of yeah. what you do. Yeah. That was a dumb question. No, it's not. I mean, I would buy vintage from another vintage seller yeah. because they could have something I don't have. And when I travel every now and then, I will buy something, but not very often because the thing is, if I'm wearing something out and someone's like, oh my gosh, I love that top. Where'd you get it? If I can't say preservation, then I'm not doing my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a store I love in New York, and I've never bought anything from them until I went back recently. And um, it was right before my birthday, and I was like, I'm going to get something special for myself. And so would you I did. say that, um, I mean, I guess talking, in, talking about like the fashion, the state of the fashion world right now, like is preservation just slightly outside of like the mainstream kind of thing or is it like becoming more mainstream what you're. I think, um, I think, uh, oh, I still think I'm a niche for sure. Okay. And I think that even though there's more and more people trying to create brands that are like conscious, like my brand, um, I think, unfortunately, at the same rate, there's all of these huge companies and even small companies trying to do the same thing, but in a very much more like um, deceitful sort of like, how can I spin this so it sounds like it's good, but it's actually it's not. Fabricated kind of. Yeah, thing. it's like when someone slaps like environmentally friendly on something and it's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I heard something. This might not make it into the podcast, but I heard somebody that said this is uh buying chickens like chicken you know you buy chicken yep. in the store and it's like 
Um, this chicken is a vegetarian chicken. Oh, yeah. Vegetarian <laughs> fed. <laughs> what is that? What the fuck is that? It means that they're not feeding the chicken by parts of other animals. But I didn't I didn't know that chickens ate other They're meat. not supposed to. But they do? Oh, they do. Really? Yeah. I thought they, they just feed, ate corn. Dude, they feed... Which is also not good. Yeah. No? I, I mean, corn is like the worst situation because A, it's like filled with pesticides and all that stuff yeah and it's genetically modified all corn now is pretty much genetically modified you know whatever it's a whole nother... you gotta raise your own chicken now that's <laughs> chicken should really but eat like you grass need to get the egg chickens need to eat like grass and worms and like little seeds and things off the ground like that's what chickens really need to eat yeah, yeah. what they would find on like in the grass so what's coming for the fashion like wh where you're at right now so what's the next trend do you are you mm. I don't know. Um, I mean, I could be really like, okay, this is what I'm seeing. Because I'm about to sell it in about six months. Well, I mean, really, the biggest trend right now is, um, I think it's really a shift in how women dress and how women view themselves. And that kind of is affecting fashion. So I think um, maybe 20 years ago, or like, I would just say like women that are maybe like, 20 years older than me, like my mom's age or a little bit older, they have always dressed for men and there's nothing wrong with that, but oh. they dress to impress men. And I think you dress a very different way. And now I feel like women my age and really women younger than me, they dress for women. Like they dress because for, for their friends or like, well, okay, if my friend okay. thinks this is okay. cool, I mean, of course you want your friends to think you look cool, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's natural. Anybody that says that they're not, yeah. You know, it's, they're and it's not like you don't want men to think you look cool, but I do think that there's this whole new, like, um, band of like cool dope ass feminist women that are like, you know, they're totally like into dudes that are respectful yeah. of them, but they're also just like more into like what their friends and peers think of how they're dressing than like a dude. And I think that changes how women dress. You yeah, see yeah, a lot yeah, more yeah. oversized clothing, like yes. really oversized um, stuff. That's not necessarily like, meant to be flattering it's meant to be comfortable it's meant to kind of have a cool look to it um a lot of japanese inspired clothing okay. i mean i think the Jap japanese that that sort of like those sort of like straight oversized yeah. cuts really like a komodo kind of a kimono or like even yeah and so like that's overarching that's kind of what i'm seeing and some women don't like that still they're like and i notice a lot of it's like my older customer and even when they shop with their daughters they're like i don't get why you would wear that it doesn't do anything for your figure and i think younger girls are just like i don't really care yeah, yeah i mean i'm dressing for me you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um which is really cool um i think there has to be a balance a little bit um because i think with anybody you have days where you don't want people to see you in that way because you know as women you feel like you are being looked at in a different way that maybe men are being looked at yeah, yeah, yeah. and some days you just like don't want to be looked at and so you just want to wear something that's like not drawing any attention <laughs> and if it if it is it's probably from a woman and she's probably like that jumpsuit's dope yeah, yeah, yeah. but in there there's some days where you feel good and you're like i want to be looked at and that's fine too you think so it's more of a state of mind i think so than, than actually like a, um, a trend i trend. think it's influencing you know the women's movement and feminism and like this sort of like women taking power over their bodies is just influencing fashion and yeah. then those women who are designing are you know taking notes 
out of that and they're just making bolder choices which is really cool and at preservation i would say we'll probably lean more towards neutral do you think it'll eventually become like mainstream what just kind of how i'm talking that dressing how i'm talking about um because right now it's like it's like there's two camps yeah there's like the kardashian you know tight to your body and curve and mm-hmm. then there's this one that you're talking about. I think it's always just going to be a style. There's going to be some people that get it and are into it and some people that don't. And I think at least um, the younger generation is going to understand it more yeah, than yeah, maybe yeah. like even my generation and older. Because I even like most of the people I know that are my age don't dress like me. Yeah. And I think it just depends on your lifestyle and what you've been exposed to. And I'm like, you know constantly get to see things and you know i take more risks with fashion because that's my job yeah and i've always been like that kind of people here appreciate the store all the time yeah yeah yeah. but you know people in new york and la there's a million stores to go to and they're still like this store is cool you know and i'm like okay good yeah you walk into your (laughs) store and like you feel like oh i'm not in the maybe i'm not in the mood like it's got a different feel and you throw pretty cool parties too i love throwing i love events i've always loved like i just love being around people i'm like definitely i'm one of those people that um being in like a group of people gives me energy it doesn't like suck energy for me like i i feed off of other people's energies um and i mean of course i'm tired when i'm done but i would just like to make preservation better like i wish there was an area for people to hang out like i wish there was a couch i wish there was an area to read magazines i wish i could have a fridge so people could like have a Lacroix or whatever you know like and i wish that i had my photo photo studio in there so that when i'm working i don't feel like i'm not in my shop so but from what you've been talking at some point it'll become a reality because that's what it takes yeah. it takes vision you act on it and you get it done i feel like it has to happen otherwise yeah. you know it, you already it, see it in your it, yeah it's already in your head it's already you look you look you can walk through it almost yeah right? it's yeah. just about finding the right place yeah and the right time we did it Woo! See? look at that one hour two minutes i don't know what i'm looking at but it looks like <laughs> something from a scary movie killed it that's how long we talked i feel like i could keep talking yeah what do you got no 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 but no this was fun thank you for asking me to do this i'm always nervous before this is my fourth one by the way so it's not like it well no so i did one with with frank remember frank yeah frank we were we got drunk we're eating wings shocker yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and then i did one with laura but we have to redo it cool because we talked for like two hours oh, and we, were, we got wasted by the time we we're done i was oh like hurry yeah and then i did one with azul and luca about the festival oh i love that um but it, all of it was with those microphones okay and then my friend's like no man you need this da, da, da. so he, so that's why it sounds kind of as good as it I don't sounds know. Have you good heard anyone? what the one of the podcasts have you no you have to i almost well i i was gonna listen to um the one you just did uh, with Brian? With Brian. Brian Bernano? Yeah. Um, but I just haven't had a chance to because I've had Mara Hoffman podcast in my queue from Laura. Uh, so yeah, I'll yeah. listen to it because I love to, him. Yeah. Um, Brian's awesome. He's so cool. But also we can take these off. Yeah, no. I okay. want to set the record straight about you. photography because I okay, feel like I go. still never fucking answered that question. Okay, go ahead. Go so ahead. just so you know, I have a studio. It's in the 11 Cherry <laughs> Building, and I shoot families and babies and a, the occasional wedding, commercial photography for myself and other businesses. Like, 
the photography part of my business is very much like a key part of my business. Okay, okay. And it definitely like, it's not like a supplemental. Like if I See, didn't do I that, that, you were like gearing away from that for no, some reason. I just haven't been able to market it because I've been so wrapped up in the shop. Yeah. Um, and the mini sessions have kind of been my marketing Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's, yeah, yeah. it worked. And I mean, amazing. people find out new people come every time. And eventually once I've done enough mini sessions and I have enough clients that have had like these little tiny sessions with me, I think I'll be able to like grow that part of my business more. But right now I know that if I grow that, it'll take me away from the shop, yeah, which yeah. Make me sad. So it's like a balance, the balancing but act. I still shoe all the time. I mean, so where 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 do people keep up with you then? I have, I mean, I I have an Instagram, but I like go through streaks of whether I add new photos. Mm -hmm. Um, but almost all of it is word of mouth at this point. Yeah. If I do mini sessions, they usually sell out. Uh, at least the last few. Yeah, and um, I do market them. I market them usually on both. Um, on preservation, studio preservation and shop preservation. Cause really like preservation is just one thing. Okay. And then studio preservation is just a way to like, say like, okay, this is a studio the, and then mm -hmm. this is a shop because they are separate locations at this point. Okay. But eventually we'll be hopefully one. What are you going to call it? Preservation. Preservation. We don't have to have the things anymore. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. And then it'll just all be one, but I still, yeah. I mean, it's a huge part of my income actually. Yeah. Cause it like doesn't cost me money to take photos really. Yeah. I only make money doing that. So if preservation, the shop could not exist without preservation, the studio. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you have a really cool store and you do a really good job uh, with the <laughs> photos. Thanks so, that you um, know of. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And uh, anything else to say? No, I don't uh, think so. Any other questions? No. I feel like you asked me questions and then I like derailed and talked about no, other that's things. That's what it's all but, about. Okay, cool. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, so what do I say on these ones? I don't know. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. So. All right. <laughs> All right. Then. All right. Oh, Give yeah, it up no, no, for Amner. All right. Now I got to sound excited, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Took all my way So that was Nicole Lawrenson. Thank you, Nicole, for coming. I really appreciate it. If you want to check out her uh, boutique, she uh, go to preservation.com or on Instagram is shop preservation or studio preservation. And I want to thank everybody for listening again on the fourth episode. Look us, look us up. Is that look us up on uh, SoundCloud, the Amner Martinez podcast? Subscribe, like it, share it, and listen to it. And then if you know anyone that you think it's cool to talk to, shoot me a message and uh, maybe we can uh, have them on. And coming soon to iTunes. Coming soon to iTunes. Boom. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you soon.